What is going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. And as you can see, it was a very, very wild weekend this past weekend in the wide, what we like to call the wide world of sports. And it's going to be a pretty loaded show today. I've got lots to talk about. I'm going to be talking some golf, some tennis, some NBA basketball, and just a little bit of everything as we get going with the show today. And also at the very end of the show today, yes, the baseballs, the Tennessee Volunteers baseball team is and are indeed going to Omaha for the College World Series. I, of course, stayed up very, very late last night watching the end of that game, that game three against Southern Miss in game three of the Hattiesburg Super Regional. A lot of people, Vols fans and Vols Twitter especially, make the argument that it should have been the Knoxville Super Regional. And of course, based on a variety of factors, the what most notably the weather, which I will get into a little bit more in detail at the very end of the show, you could very well make the argument that it should have been the Knoxville Super Regional, but it was, of course, not. It was the Hattiesburg Super Regional, but that, of course, made very little difference to the University of Tennessee's baseball team because they are indeed going to, as Peyton Manning would probably say Omaha later, a little bit later on this week. I'll get to that in much greater detail at the very end. But let me start off the top of the show with golf. And let me recap this RBC Canadian Open, which took place over the past week a little bit, if I can. And of course, really the only time that I really delve into golf all that much is when I'm talking about the major tournaments. And of course, the U.S. Open is coming up this week, but and I will, of course, be getting into into it a little bit more here in a moment. But the RBC Canadian Open, the reason why this is really noteworthy and newsworthy is because, really because of how it finished. I mean, it came down to a grand total of not one, not two, not three, but four playoff holes. And Obviously, anytime you can get free, quote-unquote, free golf as it relates to playoff holes, that's obviously something extraordinary. But this one came down to four playoff holes between Nick Taylor, the, I guess, I guess home favorite, if you will, would be the right word for it, the the Canadian, Nick Taylor, and Tommy Fleetwood. And, of course, for those of you who missed the RBC Canadian Open, please allow me to catch you up on how those four playoff holes played out between Nick Taylor and Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, Nick Taylor actually won the RBC Canadian Open on the fourth playoff hole after sinking, get this, 
get this, listening and viewing audience of the Jim Bratton podcast, this man goes out there and sinks on the fourth playoff hole, sinks a 72-foot eagle putt. I'm going to say that again just to reemphasize how crazy that actually is. A 72-foot eagle putt. Eagle, meaning two, two shots under par for those of you who may not be familiar with how the scoring system works in the game of golf. That man made an eagle putt from 72 feet out. How, how just extraordinary is that? I, I will probably never do that in my lifetime, and not a lot of other people will either. That's why these guys are the professionals on the PGA Tour. I say the PGA Tour, which is basically what it is, but after, of course, after last week's merger, are we going to start? And, of course, I'm not trying to rehash and get into the political discussion, but are we going to call it the PGA Tour presented by the Saudi Arabian government now? Is that what we're going to be doing? Anyway, time will have to tell how all of that will inevitably transpire, but point I'm trying to make is that's why these guys are professionals. And they get they can go out there and sink seventy two foot eagle putts, and I'm gonna reemphasize that seventy. Excuse me, seventy two foot eagle putts to win golf tournaments. And in the meantime, the rest of us are just peddling around on our local courses, so to speak. It's extraordinary. But another thing, of course, another thing that makes this extraordinary for Nick Taylor is that he is actually the first Canadian to win the RBC Canadian Open since 1954, which is a remarkable feat and obviously something that should and does make he and his home country proud. So, before I get into the U.S. Open preview, I just wanted to touch on how remarkable of a putt that is. I mean, I watched the video over and over and over again, and I still have no words, really, to describe how remarkable of a feat that is. So congratulations and tip of the cap to Mr. Nick Taylor. Now, the U.S. Open is, of course, going to be teeing off this Thursday from the Los Angeles Country Club in Los Angeles, California. And for those of you who may not remember the previous U.S. Open champion. And again, I should point out that I am one of these people because I did not necessarily remember that Matthew Fitzpatrick won last year's U.S. Open. Matthew, Fitz, Matthew Fitzpatrick is not necessarily one of the names that you think of in the top tier of golfers. That's just the nature of the beast when you're playing alongside Rory and Kapka and Jordan Spieth and blah, 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 blah. John Rahm, blah, 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 blah. I could go on, but I think I've made my point. But Matthew Fitzpatrick 
was and and is indeed the defending U.S. Open champion. He will be defending his crown in Los Angeles later on this week. And he is actually listed at, I was looking up some of the odds yesterday as I was getting ready for today's show. He's actually at uh, plus 3,500 to repeat, if you will, as U.S. Open champion, which is not necessarily the best spot to be in, even for a, and especially for a defending champion. But nevertheless, those are the odds. And just to rattle off some of the names that I see in contention that could be in contention, I should say, for this year's U.S. Open Championship. Needless to say, Matthew Fitzpatrick is not one of those names, but it is the game of golf, and anything can indeed happen. But some of the names that I have my on this weekend are, number one is Scotty Scheffler, who over the course of the last few majors, I've learned to not count out when it comes to being in contention to win a major championship. He was very close to being in contention at the PGA Championship last month. But, of course, things kind of fell apart for Scotty at the beginning of, or I should say at the end of the second round, beginning of the third round in the PGA Championship, and he was not able to overcome the deficit, if you will. But having said that, he is a past major champion and should not be counted out by any means or any stretch of the imagination. So he's number one. Uh, John Rahm is the second name that I have my eye on this weekend, the reigning Masters champion who has been playing some pretty good golf himself over the course of the last few weeks and months, and so I'm not going to count out Johnny Rahm as what either. Uh, Victor Hovland, number three on the list of names that I have my eye out for this weekend. He, is, he of, of course, was in contention at the PGAs as well last month, and so he's been playing some pretty good golf him in his own right and should not be counted out. Number four is, and these are really just the two random names that I came up with when I was looking at the odds and thinking to myself, okay, do I see them contending? Do I not see them contending? And at the end of the day, yes, I do see them contending because seems like there's always those one or two random names that come up on the leaderboard at big-time major golf tournaments. And so these are just the two random names that I came up with. They are Xander Shoffley and Cameron Smith. And so... Cam, I remember, although one thing I will say about Cam Smith is that just from watching the, I believe it was the PGA Championship, he actually made a couple of shots during that tournament that made me think to myself, okay, okay Cam Smith, 
okay, there may be a little bit something, a little bit something, something going on here. And maybe he can have, maybe he's one of those guys that can have some momentum going for himself going into the U.S. Open. And so those are just the five names that I will be keeping my eye on in the U.S. Open golf tournament this weekend from Los Angeles. So that's pretty much it for golf. Uh, Moving on to tennis from this past weekend. The 2023 French Open, Novak Djokovic. What a guy. Novak Djokovic, what a guy. He, of course, is now the 2023 French Open champion after defeating Casper uh, Ruud in three sets, 7-6, 6-3, and 7-5, to win the French Open. And yes, I know that tennis is not... One of the sports that I've taught that I've gotten to talk about too much on this show in the past, but the one thing that I will say is that anytime a major tournament comes around, whether it be in golf or tennis or the World Cup or what have you, it is something that needs to be addressed, and especially when you're talking about a guy like the Joker, Novak Djokovic, who of course has been doing what he has been doing at a very high level for a very, very, very long time. I mean, I can remember watching highlights of Novak Djokovic when I was a freshman in high school watching him and Federer, Roger Federer, obviously, and Rafael Nadal. Those were, those were pretty much the three big names as it relates to the sport of tennis in my childhood. Joke, which, which now, and I have to, I have to go into this, which, after watching most recently the emotional tribute to all of the NFL quarterbacks that have retired, and after watching not, ju- not just football, but just watching all of these other pro athletes retire over the course of the last several years, I'm I'm just slowly coming to the realization that my childhood is is indeed over. It's over. And there's a part of me that doesn't really want to grow up in a lot of ways. Sports in particular. But having said all of that, uh, the three big names that I've watched in tennis, probably since, well, I was a fr- probably since I was a freshman in high school. Just to stay with that example, where Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, the three big names in tennis, and Joker, of course, has been doing what he's been doing at a very high level for a very long time, as I mentioned, and has put together a very, very impressive resume. And just to run through that resume, if I can, he has, as it relates to his Grand Slam titles, being the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open, and I should point out that this 
past French Open was his 23rd career Grand Slam title. 23. But just to run through the Joker's resume, he has won the Australian Open a total of 10 times. He has won the French Open three times. He's won Wimbledon seven times. And he's won the U.S. Open three times. So that's 23 Grand Slam titles for Novak Djokovic. And he's... Last thing I will say about this Joker before I move on to the the next Joker that I will be talking about here in a second. Uh, He's obviously had a phenomenal career and it's going to be very interesting to see if he can, and I'm not sure how long he, how much longer he will be playing or how much left, how much he has left in the tank. But it's just phenomenal to watch Novak Djokovic play tennis. It has been phenomenal to, it has been phenomenal to watch him play tennis over the many years that I have watched him, and it's just been a remarkable thing to see. And so hats off to the first one of the jokers that I will be discussing today. And I guess after last night, I can give another hat, I can extend another hat to the second joker that I will be discussing today. That is, of course, Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. Shifting gears to the NBA here, of course, we all saw how Game 5 of the NBA Finals transpired last night. And it was, of course, a win by the Denver Nuggets as they complete the gentleman sweep of the Miami Heat. And Joker, Nikola Jokic, what it, of course, I mentioned before how, you know, Novak Djokovic, what a guy. Nikola Jokic, what. What a guy. I mean, he's, as I go into my Nikola Jokic voice, I mean, how is he going to celebrate winning the NBA Finals and the NBA Championship? He's, apparently, he's going to buy another horse. Apparently, he has a whole bunch of horses he and his family do. And, of course, when you make, like, $46.9 million, or however... However much he's going to make when his Supermax contract extension kicks in in 2023-2024. You have boatloads of money to spend on horses. And other things as I go back to my regular voice. But but yeah, Nicola is about to buy another horse apparently. Which is pretty... Ironic, considering through considering throughout these playoffs and throughout much of the regular season, he has very much been a horse, a hoss, as they like to say. And just to sum up game five for the Joker, he finished with 28.16 rebounds. And was and for obvious reasons, not just game five, but also the way he has played in really not just the NBA Finals. It's an NBA Finals award, but really just 
the way he's played all season has just been lights out. I mean, the, the man averaged a triple-double. I'm going to say that again just to reemphasize that, that point. The man averaged a triple-double. Remarkable. But what I, was, what I was getting to is he obviously took home the NBA Finals MVP award. And frankly, and I've said this before on the show many times, frankly, in my, in my opinion, he should have won the NBA MVP award. And I do have to give a tremendous amount of credit to Joel Embiid, who obviously took home the NBA MVP award, but Jokic is just playing out of his mind. I mean, he's... And just to go back to the horse metaphor for a, for a second, the man looks like a horse. He, lo- he looks like a Clydesdale out there playing with the basketball. And aside from his lack of speed, I guess, which he's not, and I, I will point out and should point out, he's not necessarily the fastest guy by any means. I mean, look, look, look at the dude. But he is big, he is strong. I mean, the play, I believe it was in game one of the NBA Finals where he just completely demolishes Cody Zeller, just completely destroys him on the way for a easy layup. Is just It's a thing of beauty to watch. But he's not the fastest guy. But... When you look at all of the weapons he has at his disposal, he can make post post moves for days. He can shoot. He can rebound. He can set screens. I mean, I mean, can you can you imagine being on the basketball court with Nikola Jokic and running into a ball screen that was set by? Nikola Jokic, it's it's very, I would imagine, and I in no way want to do this, and I really probably wouldn't wish this upon anyone else, but can you imagine running into a ball screen from Nikola Jokic? It's basically like running into a brick wall. It really is like running into a brick wall. That's what it looks like. And it's just the Joker, man. He's just, he's something else. He's something else. And the Nuggets are something else as well. Not just, And I'm not just talking about in this past NBA Finals, but going forward, they basically return everybody, aside from maybe Bruce Brown, who had a huge game four for the Denver Nuggets, I believe he, and I don't have his stat sheet in front of me, but I believe he finished with 21 points in game four coming off the bench, and he's obviously stepped up throughout these playoffs as well. He is really the only question mark as far as the Denver Nuggets next season goes, only because of the player option that he is, that he will be facing in free agency, which is a good problem to have financially, really, because he can obviously go out on the open market and get a whole lot more money elsewhere. But even if he, even if Bruce Brown does not come back 
next season, the Nuggets are still going to be stacked because they will be, as I mentioned before, returning their main core of the team, talking about Jokic, talking about Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, uh, Contavious, Caldwell Pope, Michael Porter Jr., you name it. Every, everybody is basically coming back. And I know that it is way too early, and, and I'm not going to be, uh, believe me, I'm not going to be making predictions as to who is going to win the NBA championship next season. I know the national media likes to do a lot of that more than anyone else because got to do something for clicks and whatnot, right? Got to have, got to have something to talk about. But what I one the one thing that I will say before we get to the NBA Finals next season and really before next season really tips off is that the Denver Nuggets are going to be in contention. They are going to be right there with the Warriors, the Kings, maybe even the Lakers, depending on what LeBron does. But in the Western Conference, Denver... I would probably put Denver in the top spot just based on how many guys they have coming back, which really speaks to how they've built throughout the years. And one of the things that I and everybody else has been reminded of as far as how the Nuggets have built their basketball team and their franchise and their organization is you have to build through the draft. You have to be patient and really quick sidebar, speaking of building through the draft about Jokic, you may you may be th- you may be inclined to tell me, well Jim, he was obviously picked number one overall, wasn't he? He was obviously a lottery pick. He he's Two-time league MVP, for goodness sake. No, you may, is what I would say to that. No, get this. And I, I should point out that there's only two rounds in the NBA draft. Which another quick sidebar on top, on top of that. Apparently the 2023 NBA draft is next week and... I will have much more material to speak about on the show next week, so stay tuned for that, by the way. But only two rounds in the NBA draft. Two rounds. Nikola Jokic was selected with the 41st pick in in the second round. 41, 41st pick overall. Second round draft pick for a two-time league MVP award winner. A man who averages a triple-double. Second round draft pick. Uh, just, just let all of that sink in for a minute, people. A two-time NBA MVP award winner. And obviously, at at that time, we had no idea what he would turn into, blah, 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 blah. But knowing, if, if we would have known then what we know now, we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about Victor Wimbanyama, being by far the number one, the favorite to be the number one pick in this year's draft, 
I mean, the Joker would be that year's Victor Wimbanyama if we would have known then what we know now about Nikola Jokic. It really is remarkable. But going back to my main point about building through the draft, one of the things that we've been reminded of recently is that that is how you build that in theory, that is how you are supposed to build your team. You have to build through the draft, develop your own guys. And this is not just, I'm not just talking about basketball here. It's been saying time and time again in football over the years, especially. And you got to be patient. You've got to give your players time, you've got to give your coaches time, and a bunch of credit has to be given to Coach Michael Malone and the job that he has done as well. And what more can really be said about the current state of the Denver Nuggets and the current state of the the Kroenke family in particular, the ownership group of the Denver Nuggets. And they're not they don't just own the Denver Nuggets. They also own the Colorado Avalanche. They also own the Los Angeles Rams. What do all three of those teams have in common? Aside from the same ownership group, obviously. Over the course of the last year, year and a half, two years, they've all won championships, right? The Rams won the Super Bowl a couple of seasons ago. The Avalanche won the Stanley Cup final last year. And the Denver Nuggets have just won the NBA finals this year. And so hats off to you have to give a tip of the cap to Stan Kroenke and his family and just their ability to put their sports people in charge and let them do their jobs, do what they do best, which is really one of the really should be one of the core pillars of leadership today, not just in sports, but in the world, business, etc., what have you. And hats off to them for all of the success that they have had over the past year with all of their professional sports franchises being champions. Now, before I get out of here today, really quickly, let me touch on the baseballs, the University of Tennessee, the baseballs going to Omaha for the Men's College World Series after that marathon of a Super Regional with Southern Miss. And as I mentioned At the top of the show, there were multiple weather delays in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which really turned this into a marathon of a super regional. Although I will put one thing I should point out, the skies were very clear in Knoxville, Tennessee, over the weekend, I noticed. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. It was all it was also very interesting to watch how stupid the Southern Miss baseball Twitter account was over the last several day few days because out of the blue they decided to and to be fair to them, I guess a lot of information was coming at them from out of nowhere 
and what have you. But it was funny to see at one point the Southern Miss Baseball Twitter account basically decided to put out an update that said they were waiting for an update. Which, does that make any sense? How much sense does that make to everybody watching and listening out there? How much sense does that make? It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But what, what do I know? I was just watching the, uh, the clear skies in Knoxville, Tennessee, as opposed to the very much cloudy and rainy skies in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And if it were me, I definitely would have waited to put out an update until I had a little bit more concrete information on the matter. But I digress. Southern Miss waiting, putting out an update, saying they were waiting for an update. It's just unbelievable. Now, having said that, weather aside, the one other thing that I want to point out is Zan Denton. And I know that I've touched on the what a guy thing very much over the course of this particular edition of the show. Zand, and I'm going to do so again here. Zand Denton, what a guy. And we all saw what he did in the regional against Clemson where he hit the big three-run homer to really propel the balls to a win in that regional tournament. Uh, He did that, yeah, he did that again in this super regional matchup against Southern Miss. And it's been kind of funny to watch head coach Tony Vitello uh, speak about Zane Denton over the last few days and weeks. And, of course, Tony V kind of dove into the Taylor Swift dating rumors mailbag. Obviously, every time something big happens with athletes in particular, everybody says, oh, oh, they're also dating Taylor Swift, I heard. Oh, and Tony V, of course, dove into that bag as well. Which was just kind of funny to see. But I have sort of coined a new nickname for Z- Zan Denton. You guys ready for this? Are you ready for this? Big, I'm going to start calling him Big Game Zane. And I really can't believe that I've, at least I've not seen anybody else call Zane Denton that before. Big game Zane. I've also sort of thought about calling him the, the pride of Ravenwood High School. Ravenwood, of course. And another really cool thing about Zane Denton is that he is sort of a local guy coming from uh, Ravenwood, Brentwood, and of course a lot of you baseball experts out there may be familiar with his older brother, Bryce Denton. But as much as I'd love to call him the call. Zan Denton, the pride of Ravenwood High School. There's a whole bunch of other guys that I could do that with. So I guess you could substitute any name in that conversation and make plenty of valid arguments for it. But in the meantime, I'll just stick with calling him 
big game Zane. And due to Tennessee winning in game three of the Super Regional, the Hattiesburg Super Regional, which probably should have been the Knoxville Super Regional. That, of course, sets up a very interesting, very tough matchup in the first round of the College World Series, which begins on Friday. I believe Tennessee's first game will be on Saturday, for those of you who want to mark your calendars. Uh, Tennessee is going to be taking on LSU, which is very, very tough matchup for anybody, really. LSU is the number five national seed going into this tournament. But LSU, of course, been they've been a powerhouse all season long, and it's really going to be all I can say definitively right now is that it's going to be pretty tough for Tennessee. I have no idea how it's going to go, really, but hopefully for Tennessee fans, it goes very well, obviously, and it results in a championship. And again, I'm not going to predict that today, but what I can say is that there's going to be some very exciting baseball going on in in Omaha this weekend. Uh, So you've got LSU, Tennessee, and of course, much like I guess I'm going to go through the bracket really quickly before I get out of here. Much like with the Women's College World Series, the Men's College World Series is also a double elimination format, which includes losers brackets and etc., etc. The winner of the LSU-Tennessee game will be taking on the winner of the 1-8 matchup between Wake Forest and Stanford, who got very lucky last night when they won their super regional matchup with Texas. And for those of you who may not be aware of what I'm talking about, just feel free to look it up. I do not necessarily have the time to get into that in great detail today. But winner of LSU, Tennessee, will play the winner of Stanford and Wake Forest. And at the bottom half of the bracket, the winner of the Florida-Virginia matchup, the 2-7 matchup, will play the winner of Oral Roberts and TCU. And so, neither one of those two teams are seeded, although I will point out that that regardless of seeding, regardless of seeding, which really makes no difference at this point when you think about it, uh, those two teams have been playing some pretty exceptional baseball over the course of the last month or so and are sort of hot at the right time, if you will. And all that really remains to be to be said is that there's going to be some very exciting baseball that will be played in Omaha, Nebraska over the next week, week and a half, or two weeks, beginning this Friday. And with all of that being said, I guess I'm going to go ahead and get out of here for today. I know that it's been a marathon of a show because of all of the information that I got to cover today. 
because there's just been so much going on in the sports world that needs to be addressed. And I guess the one other thing that I will point out before I get out of here for good today is that I have been, for those of you Titans fans, I have been watching the whole DeAndre Hopkins situation play out. And is he going to meet with the Patriots? Is is he not going to meet with the Patriots? We don't, we don't know, but his Instagram stories have sp- spoken volumes about how his visit with the Titans went over the last weekend, and I'm going to knock on knock on wood when I say this, but after seeing all of those Instagram stories, you might ask me, am I am I cautiously optimistic about D Hop as of right now? Uh, maybe. Maybe I am. We'll see how things inevitably play out with the Patriots, but I guess you could say that I am pretty cautiously, very cautiously optimistic about DeAndre Hopkins and the Tennessee Titans as of right now. And with all of that being said, guys, I'm going to go ahead and hop out of here. Thank you all so much for bearing with me through this marathon of a show today. It's been a lot of fun, and again, I very much appreciate you watching and listening to all of it, and I will see you guys very soon.